Well, good morning. Welcome to the deep freeze. I, at, at the risk of sounding like um, one of those old guys in the old westerns that used to say, well, I remember the winter of 25 and how cold it was. I remember the winter in Edmonton of 1969. How many of you remember that winter? Good, I see a few hands, old timers, good. We had it so cold, well, how cold was it? For 26 days, we never got um, higher than 21 degrees below zero. Can you imagine? Edmonton Journal had special um, certificates they handed out. And I never got a certificate because I was very young at the time, so I didn't. <laughs> I can barely remember it. It was passed on through traditions. Today, this morning, if you'll take a look at the... Um, my sermon title, it's Experiencing God in a Godless World, A Journey Through Fear by Faith to Freedom. We say, wow, that's a pretty long title, isn't it? As I looked at it, I thought about it, and I said, if we go to the next slide, I'll show you a long title. This is a title by Jonathan Edwards, and he says, A Humble Attempt to Promote an Explicit Agreement and Visible Union of God's People Throughout the World in Extraordinary Prayer for the Revival of Religion and the Advancement of Christ's Kingdom on Earth, Pursuant to Scripture Promise and Prophecies Concerning the Last Time. Remember that one for the exam. You know, this morning, we stand at the threshold of welcoming in a new year, 2018. For some of us, we're glad to see 2017 leave us. The new year, however, is a fresh start. Just like a new day, it's a fresh start for us. A new beginning, which will mean change. Change many times is not easy, but it can yield great benefits. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray and ask that you would open our spiritual eyes to the truth contained in this passage today. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For years, my family and my wife Sharon saying, Dad, you need to get your hearing checked. Bob, you need to get your hearing checked. I put it off. I don't know why, but I did. It was just one of those things I never had time for. And back in my mind, I thought, well, there's nothing wrong with my hearing. It was everybody else, not me. They just didn't speak loud enough. Well, three weeks ago, my wife informed me that uh, an appointment was made and I was going to get a hearing test. I protested, but men, you know what it's like when our wives look at us with that look and they're not going to be dissuaded? I thought, okay, I'm going to this appointment. Now, I, I went fully expecting to pass the test with flying colors because in my heart, I knew that it was Sharon that needed the hearing aids and not me. And I was fully prepared to help her deal with it and bring her down slowly and softly. Well, I took the test and I was shocked. After an hour, they brought me in front of the computer and looked at all the readouts. And my hearing loss was significant. I wanted to redo. I wanted to do over. But the evidence was right in front of me. 
Now then, the opportunity presented itself for Sharon to get her hearing tested at the same time. And I thought, good, now we will see how much hearing loss she has. To my shock, her hearing was perfect. And I said, how can this be? Well, I picked up my hearing aids last week, and I must say my life has changed. First off, my language has improved. I have moved from, huh, what? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Could you please repeat that? To hearing whispers. I can hear whispers. It's absolutely amazing. I could hear things that I haven't heard for years. I remember when we got home, I pulled out my keys and I could hear the keys jingle. I could hear the crunch of snow under my feet. I discovered that the SUV that I have that I thought purred like a kitten, well, it doesn't. <laughs> I thought I walked around the house like a ninja, you know, quiet, quiet, moving here and there. I got the hearing aids and I could hear myself clump through the house. I could hear my feet on the rug and I thought, man, I got to work on this losing weight thing. So in the last days, I've been doing this. I've been hearing this. I'll be sitting there with Sharon. I'll say, what's that? She says, that's the furnace starting up. I'll say, well, what's that? That's the dishwasher, Bob. Don't worry about it. Sharon, what's that? That's the branches rubbing on the eaves. You know, there's a few thoughts about my experience. Not all change is bad, though it might take time to adjust. And the second thing I've learned from this whole experience is, why did I wait so long? Why did I wait so long to make a change? You know, there's a, a cliched quote by Einstein, it's true. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. The pattern is seen in the lives of couples who have grooved responses and arguing that always ends in an argument. They've grooved responses in such a way that, that he says this, she says this, he says this, and before long, they meet at the same place where they always meet. That's why many times we need counselors or someone to come alongside of us when we come to issues in our lives we can't resolve because they help us to get out of the rut and see things differently. I know the couples in this room don't suffer from any of that, so we're not worried about that. What about the responses that we have toward our children? It's the same way. We respond this way, they respond this way, and before long, the same old argument occurs. Well, why? Because change has to take place. And the change usually is the parents have to stop being controlling and the young people have to forgive their parents for being so controlling. A stagnant pool of water on a farm, if you watch it over the summer, it starts to stink many times. Why? It needs to be refreshed with rain and new water. If something's not working, change is needed, especially in business. Change, adapt, or go out of business. In the years I was in business, you had to have a flexibility to adjust to the marketplace and to do it quickly when needed. If something's not working, you need to change it. I've experienced a lot of change in my life. I remember I was a new Christian. It would be in 1980, and I 
was going to a church where I had a friend and he said, Bob, pray for me. I said, well, why, Linda? And he said, well, this morning I'm, I'm singing a special number. I thought, oh, great. And he said, yes, but I'm going to be playing a guitar. I looked at him and said, playing guitar? I mean, I'm saved out of the world. He said, yeah, this is one of the first times a guitar has ever been played in our church. We don't know how it's going to go over. Boy, have we changed. Wow. I know some friends that are hyper-Calvinist. They only sing psalms in church without instruments because they believe instruments are worldly. Hmm. Boy, have we changed. The need for change is alive and well in the lives of our youth. Millennials, for example, um, are really concerned about the way that the world is moving. Abby Jackson in Business Insider writes this, the 10 most serious problems in the world, according to millennials who participated in the World Economic Forum's Global Shapers Survey of 2017, had 10 items where they ranked the least concerning item to the most concerning item. At 10, we had the lack of economic opportunity and employment. Number nine, safety, security, well-being. Number eight, lack of education. Number seven, food and water security. Number six, government accountability and transparency, corruption. Number five, religious conflicts. Number four, poverty. Number three, inequality. And here we're talking about income discrimination where the income back... Um, the income between the top wage earners and the bottom wage earners, what's happening in the United States is getting wider and wider with each passing year. Number two, large-scale conflict and wars. Their number one concern was climate change, destruction of nature. You say, well, where do these results come from? Well, 31,000 young people ages 18 to 35 years old across 186 countries gave their answers and that's what they came up with. Millennials want to see significant change in these areas. A significant change is happening this year of a spiritual nature. On May 14, 1948, the day before the expiration of the British mandate, David Ben-Gurion, the head of the Jewish agency, declared the establishment of the Jewish state in Eretz, in Eretz, Israel, to be known as the State of Israel. Well, this year, Israel celebrates her 70th birthday, which is a significant date for many prophetic scholars. For them, this signals the next stage in the unfolding of the end times before the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well... We may be skeptical, but the prophetic time clock seems to have started with the U.S. declaring Jerusalem as Israel's capital. The eyes of the world have turned and they're focused on Israel. In the United Nations, the, they tried to uh, pass a U.N. resolution to reject the whole proclamation of the United States that Israel have her capital in Jerusalem. Trump vetoed that in these last days. Some people 
reject any talk of end times. We talk about change. How much change do we need in the church, in our lives, in our country, in our world? Are we in the end times? Well, Paul gives us a clear understanding of what it will be like in the end times in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. You be the judge. He says this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Many point to these verses and declare, that's our world all right. Paul was right. It's happening now. We need to pause because our world is changing at a mind-numbing pace. We see so much injustice and cruelty. As Christians, we cry out, God, don't you see God, don't you see what's happening? Why don't you act? Why are you silent? You really want to hear God's answer? Remember, change has consequences. These questions aren't new. These are the same questions that a prophet named Habakkuk asked some 2,600 years ago during the reign of King Josiah. In this book, it focuses on Habakkuk's cry to God. He has an issue. Then we have God's response to the, uh, the cry of Habakkuk. Then Habakkuk has a second response to God, and God responds a second time. And then finally, the book comes to a close when Habakkuk comes to the realization that he can't speak for God. He doesn't understand the majesty, the wisdom, and the direction that God takes at any time. As one consider the state of the world, we can identify with the prophet Habakkuk's complaint. He starts out and he says, here's his complaint. We just talked about the world and what's happening in our world. He says, how long, O Lord, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice, justice has become perverted. And they said, why, God, why have you not answered? God responds to Habakkuk. And he says, 
watch Habakkuk, because I'm going to send a nation to punish, to punish the wicked in Israel. I'm going to send the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to be um, the instrument of my punishing hand, but then I'm going to punish them for punishing you. Habakkuk's appalled. He says, how can you, a holy God, send a nation so cruel and wicked to judge your people? They are worse than we are. And then he proceeds to give God examples of what he is saying. Then Habakkuk, not understanding, responds even as we do sometimes. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post, and there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord says, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. And then, God turns Habakkuk on his ear, because he says, here's what I see. I see a people who are dishonest. I see a people who are prideful. I see a people who are coveted. They have covetousness among them. They build the city on bloodshed. Drunkenness. I see idol worship. And I'm sure at that point, Habakkuk is taken aback. He thought God didn't see. God saw everything. But God saw more. He looked at Habakkuk, and as he laid out this, three verses start to come into play. The first is, the righteous will live by their faith. Chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous will live by their faith. Well, what does that mean in context? He was saying, Habakkuk, the righteous will live in such a way that they will place their faith in me. Then he says, for the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As a Christian, I look forward to the day when the glory of the Lord will be manifested in our world. Where God will be seen in his majesty and authority and power and love and grace. And the third thing he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God makes no mistakes. God knows the beginning from the end. We can be going through changes in our lives. We can be going through struggles. We can be going through pain. But as a believer, I have such faith in our God that I know he will be there beside me as I walk through whatever valley I have to walk through. Habakkuk hears all this 
He thinks about all this. And then he responds in a prayer of praise to the Lord. I have heard all about you, Lord, and I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. You may be at a point this morning of deep need. And you don't know where to turn. Can you turn to God in faith and say, help me. Help me, O Lord, as you did in years gone by. There are profound elements in Habakkuk's prayer that help us understand God in a deeper way. He says, and in your anger, Lord, remember your mercy. Remember your compassion. It's the word that's used of David when he uh, took a census of all the people, which he knew was wrong. But he did it anyway. And God sent a prophet to David and said, you've got three choices. You have three choices. Two of them included what man might do to him. One included what man might do to him. One included a famine, be chased by his enemies, or allow God to determine the judgment. You know what David said? He knew God so intimately that he says, I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad. But let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. Wow. You don't think God, do you think God doesn't know about your pain? Do you think God doesn't know about your struggles? God knows. God knows. And there's a hiding of his power. You know, sometimes we, we have to realize that God doesn't manifest his power all the time and in every situation, but he's working behind the scenes. Do you remember with Abraham and Ish, Ishmael and his mother, how Abraham gave her a jug of water and sent her out into the desert with Ishmael? Every time I read that passage, I'm amazed by God's wonderful grace and mercy. How the Lord worked in Ishmael's life behind the scenes, always there, always overshadowing his life. When you read Genesis 21, it says this, And God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness, and he became an archer. God is always working in the background. He's the eternal one. He's the eternal one. He's outside time. He's outside space. He's not bound by our temporal existence. He's the eternal one. And then he says, you went out to rescue your chosen people to save your anointed ones. Brothers and sisters, as children of God, we are God's anointed ones. We entered into a covenant relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And that covenant relationship, that bond of love, cannot be broken. It began at the cross. It continues because of the cross. Moses was so aware 
of God's working in his life that he said this in Exodus 5, 15 too, The Lord is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will extol him. Moses saw God work day after day after day. 40 years in the desert. 40 years of seeing manna come falling from the sky overnight. He, he knew it. He saw God work. He provided water. He did it all. Psalm 68, the psalmist writes this, Praise the Lord, praise God our Savior, for each day he carries us in his arms. Our God is a God who saves. The sovereign Lord rescues us from death. Wow. But then fear crept into Habakkuk's life. He started to think about God's judgment. He started to think about how God would use the Babylonians to judge the Israelites. Then he started to think about how God would judge the Babylonians for being cruel to the Israelites. In verse 16, he says, I trembled, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Worry, fear, fear about the future started to seize him. You know, worry often gives a small thing a big shadow. Worry might well be compared to cancer in that once it gets hold, is just as insidious. It may begin merely as a simple reaction to any given situation. If conditions are right, however, it gets a foothold, crowding out all the normal healthy emotions such as serenity, peace, joy, pleasure, enthusiasm, until it takes over completely. I like what that author says. You know, agonizing over the future or the past is fruitless. When we start to worry about what might happen, what will happen, what has happened, who can change it? We can't change it. You can't influence the future. You can't change the past. Neither can I. And so many people are caught. They're caught and they're immobilized because they're either in the past or in the future. And worry has washed over them. You know what? You can worry about my life, your health. You can say my marriage. You can worry about your children, your savings, your retirement fund, your job, your grandchildren. You can worry about your children, their marriages, the wars in the world, the terrorists, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, nuclear weapons, chemical warfare, West Nile virus, Lyme disease, cancer, the depleting ozone, computer viruses, computer hackers, identity theft. What? You know, our world can become a fearful place when worry takes hold. Worry is debilitating. But why are we, why are we worrying? Don't you know and believe that God is there for us? 
Why are you fearful about your job, your future, your family? Why are you nervous? Why do you have headaches? Why can't you sleep? Why are you running from something? Face it. By the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, handle it. What's the real problem in, in your life? Is it external? Circumstances you can't control or is it internal? What's the basis for your worry? You know, there are only two days in every week. got this from the Illinois Medical Journal. There are only two days in every week about which we should not worry. One is yesterday with its mistakes and cares, its aches and pains. Yesterday has passed forever beyond our control. It's like trying to saw sawdust. It's impossible. The other day is tomorrow with its possible adversities and blunders. Until its sun rises, we have no stake in tomorrow, for it is yet unborn, just like the new year we're about to enter into. That only leaves one day, today. Any person can fight the battle for one day, can't we? We can fight the battle for one day. This is the day that the Lord has made, and he's given it to us for us to enjoy. It's only when we add the burden of those two awful eternities, yesterday and tomorrow, that we're liable to break down. Brothers and sisters, a person can't change the past by all this worrying, but he sure can ruin a perfectly good present by stewing about the future. Every time I pick up Matthew 6, many times I, my heart squeezed because I realize um, the doubt that's crept into my life. If God cares so wonderfully for followers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he surely care for you? You have so little faith. You don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And he will give you all you need. From day to day, if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I challenge you to take Matthew 6 and read through it once, twice, three or four times. And let God minister to you. Look for all of his promises in that passage. God gives provision to birds, and they are not as important to him as you are. You can't change the length of your life or your height so don't be anxious. God can be trusted with the details of your life. Worrying about tomorrow makes you ineffective today. If God can clothe the flowers and make the meadows lush with grass, he, sure, he certainly can do all that you need him to do for you. Worry is more harmful than helpful. God does not ignore those who look to him in faith 
for their needs. Worrying shows a lack of faith in God. Worrying shows that we don't understand our relationship with God. Perfect love casts out fear. Worrying keeps us from seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Finally, live for today. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. Now, I reinforced, I probed the passage and laid out yet once again what worry does. Habakkuk. Habakkuk's faith in God chased away the fear and the worry as he made a conscious decision to trust God. I have to ask you this. Are you willing to make a, cha- a, a, a conscious decision to trust God with that problem in your life that may be causing you so much pain? Habakkuk's faith in God was real and it was powerful. Well, how real was it? He wasn't worrying about tomorrow anymore. Habakkuk wasn't worrying about the past anymore. And he settled his relationship with God to such a degree that he placed his faith in God to such a degree that he could say this. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, Even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle cattle barns are empty. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will leap for joy. That's what exalt means. I'll leap for joy. I'll be extremely joyful. I'll be glad. You go through the Psalms. You have things like the Lord is my strength and my shield. Trusting in him, I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices. With my song, will I praise him? Psalm 60, verse 6. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. Sing under God, sing praises to his name, extol him, that rideth, he who that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. And I could go on. When we get a clear picture of God, we have no doubt in him. We have no doubt in his mercy. We have no doubt in his power. We have no doubt in his love for us. We have no doubt that he will care for us. Even though the circumstances might scream and say, that's not true. That's not true. We can say, I have no doubt. And I choose to place my faith in our Heavenly Father. You know, Habakkuk's understanding is good theology. He found security in his knowledge of his relationship with God. 
and that brings freedom. He moved from fear, he applied faith in God, and he became free. And he punctuates and capitalizes and stresses this. He says, the Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me walk on high places. God's presence in our lives makes us sure-footed no matter what the terrain, no matter what the experience. I like this translation. It says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He's sovereign over everything. He makes me sure-footed as a deer and able to tread upon the heights. Okay, every sermon, as I wrap this up, it has to have application. It's great to get all these facts and say, yeah, I agree with that, I agree with that. But here's the challenge. What kind of changes, what kind of changes do you need to make in your life in 2018 to have this verse become a reality for you? What kind of changes do you have to make in your life to enter into a closer relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ his Son? Change is inevitable. Change for a Christian must take place. It has to. God wants it to. Why could we have a verse like, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That means to mature. How can we mature in our relationship with God unless there's change? Are we happy with the way that we're living with him? We're happy with our relationship. Everything can be improved. Here's some action steps. Number one, you could turn to God and confess the state of your spiritual condition. He already knows. But he wants us to tell him. Many times I've been on my knees in repentance. You know what repentance means? It means change. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not walking with you the way I should. I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to renew my walk with you, with you in, a, in a fresh way. Holy Spirit of God, fill me. Take control. In humility, repent, which means change your attitudes and your actions, which can separate us from God. Ask God to fill your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and look to him to bring renewal and revival into your spiritual life. God has to bring it. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. I have prayed many times in my life, and I continue to pray, Father, draw me close to you. Draw me close. Do, do what you need to do in my life, but draw me close. Talk to God openly, 
honestly and boldly approach his throne of grace because our sins have been forgiven in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then anticipate God working in your life. So many times we pray, but we don't pray expectantly. We don't look for God's answers. We pray in a general sort of way. God wants us to pray boldly and specifically. Anticipate that God will work in your life. And as you're praying, listen to God in prayer. As you read the word of God, the Bible, listen to what God is speaking to you. The Bible, the word of God is like a mirror. When we read it, when we look into it, it shows us as we really are. There's been times I've been reading the word of God in my devotions and God has fingered something in my life and he said, Bob, this is you. No, no, Lord, it's not me. Yes, yes, that's you. Say, Lord, forgive me. And then, whatever God shows you to do, as you read his word and pray, obey, do it. Word of God says this, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. So I close with this. Remember, change can be a good thing. Change can be a transformational thing. Change could benefit us if we allow God to work change into our lives. What changes in your life could you benefit from if you made them? 2018 will give you all the opportunity you could want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the change that's taken place in our lives. We're, we're here, many of us, because we've received you as Lord and Savior. Father God, I pray for anyone here that might not have a personal relationship with you, but you might be drawing them. You might be speaking to them in their hearts. And I pray that you would give them the courage to look to you and say, please forgive me, God. I confess my sin to you and I ask you to forgive me and come into my life today. And Lord, for all of us, those of us who have been Christians for many years, may you renew us and awaken within us the desire to enter into a deep, meaningful, fulfilling relationship with you that will stand the test of time. In Jesus' name I pray.